Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Now, generally, that multiple is somewhere between 20x and 30x. So if it's doing $10,000 a month in profit, it's going to fall somewhere between two hundred and maybe three dollars $320,000 in value. Hey, my name is Felix. And I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn why go through a marketplace like Empire Flippers instead of directly reaching out to a business that you want to buy, how to prepare a business for sale, and how to evaluate the value of your e-commerce store. Today, I'm joined by Justin Cook from EmpireFlippers.com. Empire Flippers helps people buy and sell online businesses, including online stores. Welcome, Justin. Thanks, Felix. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, excited to have you on because we're just talking a little bit off air about the growth of this demand for a marketplace, especially for online stores. And you guys, of course, specialize this. So tell us a little bit more about what is Empire Flippers and what you guys do over there. Yeah, so Empire Flippers is kind of a hybrid between a broker and a marketplace, and we help people buy, sell, and invest in websites and online businesses. We actually do not only e-commerce businesses, but also FBA, also uh, you know AdSense and affiliate type sites. Uh, but we've done a lot more e-commerce businesses in the last maybe twelve to eighteen months. Very cool. Uh, so you know the question that comes up then is uh, if there if you are able to find a a store that is for sale or you're looking to buy a store, you know of a store that you're you're targeting or an online business that you're targeting. What's the the benefit of going through your your marketplace, going through Empire Flippers, than just to kind of blindly reach out to a, a an online business? Well, if you're looking very strategically at a particular business you want to buy, whether it's a competitor or something like that, then honestly, it doesn't hurt to reach out to them, and you probably should do that. If you're looking to buy a business and you're not exactly sure what business to work with, it's a really long slog to try to reach out to people because you know figuring out which site is in your budget and then like vetting the business, doing your due diligence, uh, if they even say yes or even interested – is really, really challenging. So what we do is we just provide a marketplace that brings all of those people together. We do all of that outreach. We've got you know an audience of people that know that we sell these businesses. And so we're kind of a hub for that. They know to bring their business to us to sell. So then the buyers know they can go to one place that where all these businesses have been checked, we've verified their earnings, and they can go you know line by line and look at the businesses we have listed. Very cool. So what was the idea behind starting Empire Flippers? What's your background? How did you guys get into starting a business, a marketplace like this? So my business partner and I ran an outsourcing company out of the Philippines. And so we had staff there working for other people. And, and uh, that business never really took off. Like it paid the bills and you know it was a business for us, but it never really took off. And so we you know ended up with uh, quite a few agents that worked for us for a couple of years that were unemployed. One of our major clients left. So we tested through a bunch of different things. One of the things we tested out was building websites, profitable websites, and then six months, nine months, 12 months down the road, selling those off and seeing like if there was an interest in that. And what we realized is that there's a really hungry market for people out there looking to buy cash-flowing, profitable online businesses. And these, we're not talking, you know, doing $2 million in sales a month. I'm talking about, you know, maybe doing $20,000 a month in sales, mm-hmm. maybe profiting $3,000, $4,000 a month, even... 1500 bucks, 2000 bucks a month in profit. There are people out there that are absolutely hungry 
for those types of websites and online businesses. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of site owners, uh, store owners don't know that, you know, they think, well, I've got this kind of little store, it's plugging along and I'm making, you know, two, three, four thousand $4,000 a month and it's great, but they don't realize that it's a sellable asset and that there are lots of people willing and interested in buying those. Mm. Do you have to start a business differently if your goal is to ultimately exit or sell the business? Not necessarily. That's a good question, though. Um, I, I think if you start with the end in mind, it's helpful. So, uh, for example, uh, when you go to sell your business, there's a lot of documentation you're going to need, right? So you're going to need to make sure that you have your profit and loss in place. You're going to make need to make sure that you've documented all of your processes, that you you know have everything kind of together. And so, if you start the business with that in mind, with uh, the intention of selling later, it makes it easier. Now, if you've owned your store for two and a half, three years, let's say and you're getting ready to sell and you don't have that together, you can put it together, but it's much more of a pain than if you started with that initially. So it's not a requirement that you started with uh, a sale in mind, but it's helpful in terms of making it easier for you when you go to actually sell the business. Mm. So for people that are in this position where they are uh, starting a business and they want to position in a way where you can sell it later or they have an existing business and they want to get their kind of ducks in order to sell, what are some of these uh, pieces of documentation or what do they need to have in place legally or on paperwork to make sure that this process is much smoother? Well, the first thing we should mention is that uh, almost all of our sales, 99.9% of the sales we do, are asset sales, not stock sales. So in terms of your legal setup of whatever LLC or corporation you've set up, it's not really important. You're actually just selling off the assets of that website or that online business. Um, it's mostly goodwill uh, is what you're selling because you know there's no hard assets generally except for obviously inventory. Um, but aside from that, you're not selling. There's no real estate involved in the transaction. Um, so in terms of like what you need to prepare or what you need to get ready, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things. Um, uh, for one, you should start uh, making sure that you're tracking um, your total revenue, your cost of goods, all of the expenses that add up over time. And make sure you're tracking that on a month-to-month basis in a profit and loss. And you can use something like QuickBooks Online, or you can literally have a spreadsheet. Now, uh, in due diligence, a buyer is going to want to take that spreadsheet and match to your bank account. So you're going to need those two. But just as kind of a head check, just to make sure that you know what's going on in the business month-to-month, having that profit and loss in a spreadsheet is helpful. And it's an easy check when you go to sell it uh, that that information is there. Now, in terms of other things you're going to want to document, uh, things that you do on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. So you as an entrepreneur, what are you doing in terms of uh, shopping for new products? How are you marketing those new products? What do you do on a daily or weekly basis? Um, you can use something like a Google Doc where you lay out kind of the processes. Here's what I do daily. Uh, step one, step two, step three. Here's what I do weekly. Step one, step two, step three. Or you can use something like we use in our company called Sweet Process. It's a... Uh, uh, a nice little piece of software that allows you to create these processes. And, you know, step one through 10, you can use video or audio uh, for some of the steps. And it, it's a good way for your team across the board, whether you're two people or 30 people, uh, to where everyone can see those uh, standard operating procedures or those processes, um, and you can update them regularly. So that's really important when you go to sell your business so that you can turn that over to, to a potential buyer and they're comfortable knowing they can buy that business and run it from you after they purchase it. So, you know, a, a buyer has options, right? So yes, they're hungry for businesses, but if you're going to list your business, they're going to look at yours, they're going to look at another, they're going to look at another. 
if you don't have your documentation in place in terms of your profit and loss, in terms of having uh, all of your daily, weekly tasks like outlined, they're going to go with the person. They're going to buy the business that's much clearer or that's like you know well laid out because you know it's less of a risk for them. So you're going to want to get your documentation order. That's one of the things we can help you put together when you're you know moving towards a sale. Mm-hmm. And once a transaction is complete and the business has been sold, does the buyer need to hang around, or they kind of wash their hands clean and move on? Like, how, how are they involved after that sale? Yeah, so it depends. Uh, sometimes it's a straight cash transaction. Uh, this is normally the case when uh, the buyer is very, very familiar. Uh, with how the business works, maybe they've they've run other e-commerce businesses, and and there's all different kinds of buyers, right? Sometimes it's a, their first purchase of uh, you know uh, uh, e-commerce business, say a Shopify uh, storefront. Um, sometimes they have 15 already and a whole team of people that run them. So it's going to depend on their experience. Um, a lot of times you'll have for a new buyer, they may do something where it's like 70% cash up front. 30% after the 30 days of training. And so that gives them kind of an opportunity to continue to work with the seller and make sure they're comfortable um, so that, you know, they can, you know, walk away and be able to continue to run and grow the business. Sometimes if there's some question as to, you know, what's going to happen over the next six or 12 months, they'll actually do an earnout. So that just means that, you know, some portion of the deal, maybe somewhere between 50 and 80 percent will be cash up front. And the rest may be contingent on, uh, you know, the business hitting its goals over the next six months or twelve months. It may be contingent on, you know, doing over a certain amount per month or per quarter. So you can put other contingencies in the earnout, and and that sometimes happens if there's some questions as to, you know, where the market's at or you know how stable that business is going to be. Mm-hmm. And like with any business transaction, even large public companies, a, a sale like this can be still can, can be risky. Are there any kinds of protections available or anything that a seller should be doing to safeguard themselves to make sure that they are getting exactly what they expect to, to receive? It's generally less uh, risky for the seller than it is for the buyer. Normally what will happen, definitely on the smaller transactions, let's say it, uh, it's a five-figure, maybe even a low six-figure deal. Uh, a lot of times uh, when you're working with a broker, they're going to be able to handle the uh, the transaction for you. So they'll make sure that the money's been received. They'll help transfer the business to the buyer. Once that's done, complete and verified, then you get the money. Not a problem. In larger deals, let's say you know uh, mid six figure to seven figure deals, a lot of times you're going to use an escrow service. And a good escrow service to use is any attorney. Most attorneys are bonded for this, and so can handle a you know two million dollar, four million dollar sale. And so you can actually give them the requirements uh, to make sure that deal is able to go through and that they understand what the requirements are. So from a seller's perspective. The only thing you really have to worry about is to make sure that you're not transferring over the business before the money has been paid. We actually had a situation where it was a Chinese national in the Netherlands selling to an American in the U.S. And she was selling on our platform. And uh, she she wanted to uh, get the money. Like We'd received the money from the buyer. We had control of the money. We said, look, it's time to transfer the business. Uh, to the buyer. And she said, no. She said, no, no I'm not going to do it. You need to wire the money to my Chinese bank account. They're like, look, you know, we can't do that. You can't, no one can ever own or have control of both the business mm-hmm. 
and the money. Like, that's a really bad idea. We're not going to do that. And she refused. And the buyer was like, you know, I really want this site. Is there any, is there anything she can do? And we, we ultimately told the buyer, we said, look, we can't do this deal because she refuses to budge on that. So, I mean, there are some, some things you need to worry about. Generally, never, ever, ever have both, uh, have one party that has access to both the business and the money. Um, so, you know, try, try to keep, um, you know, that balance. So whether you're using escrow or, or some other third party, make sure that, uh, no one has access to both. Mm, makes makes a lot of sense, uh, and when you uh, when you are evaluating your store to determine how much it should be worth for sale, how do you? What's the process that goes behind that? What are some things that you should consider to figure out how much your store is worth in a sale? So generally, and and this is sometimes we're the bearer of bad news here, where we have you know a seller that comes and says, look. I want to sell my e-commerce business. It's worth seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and we take a look and we take it through our valuation uh, process, and we say actually it's worth about three fifty to four hundred thousand dollars. And they're like, "What? No, it should be worth <laughs> a lot more." And uh, you know, and uh, you know, a seller may think or an entrepreneur may think their business is worth whatever it is, but that's not necessarily true. Ultimately, it's worth what a buyer is willing to pay for it, and so. We've got plenty of experiences selling these businesses. Uh, we sold quite a few, and we work with buyers on a regular basis. We have a pretty good idea on what the market, uh, where the market's at, um, and where it's at generally is, is buyers are looking at some multiple of your the profit in the business. So we look at it on a monthly basis. So net monthly profit. So let's say for the for example in 2016. Um, you know, January through December, right? Your business on average did $40,000 in sales and your net profit was $10,000, right? So you were taking home $10,000, not paying yourself a salary or anything like that, just straight up $10,000 in profit for the year, $120,000 for the year, right? So at $10,000, you're going to multiply that by some multiple. Now, generally that multiple is somewhere between 20X and 30X, so if it's doing $10,000 a month in profit, it's going to fall somewhere between two hundred and maybe three, dollars $320,000 in value, right? Um, and then what we do is uh, to kind of cap that off uh, with any business that has uh, inventory or uh, physical goods, uh, we add on the wholesale value. So if you've got, let's say for that business, $30,000 in uh, wholesale value of inventory, you add on an additional 30,000. So maybe 330 to $350,000 at the high end. Now you may ask Felix, like what, uh, you know, how do you determine whether it's worth 200 or 300? That's a mm -hmm. huge difference, right? That's a big difference. Well, a lot of things come into play. So, uh, the older the business is, the longer it's been around, the, 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 uh, bigger multiple you're going to be able to use. You're going to be closer to the 30 X. Um, Depending on how many different traffic channels you have and how you're acquiring your customers, more is better. Uh, so if all of your uh, traffic is coming just organic traffic, then you're pretty dependent on Google Organic, which is a little more risky than if 40% of your traffic is organic and 30% is paid traffic. You know what I mean? So that can adjust the multiple a bit. Um, uh, your trajectory. So has it been growing or has it been declining? If it's been declining, you're going to get a lower multiple. If it's been uh, increasing month over month or quarter over quarter, you're going to get a higher multiple. So that's one of the things we look at uh, when we're going to actually value your business and list it for sale is things like how old it is, what does the traffic look like, what's the trajectory it's on, that kind of thing. Have you seen businesses that are being sold multiple times where a buyer buys a business, builds it up, and then sells it again? Is that a common practice? Absolutely. In fact, we've seen 
one, it's a small one. It's like mid, mid to high uh, five figures. And we've seen it three times. So it sold three times on our marketplace in the last three, three and a half years. And they start off in like the 20, 30,000 and like recently sold for like 70, 80. So yes, we definitely see these businesses again and again um, from the people, because there are, there's a whole bunch of different type of people that buy, right? You have the, on the one hand, you'll have the buy and hold crowd. So these are the people that they may have anything from a one side or two sides to dozens of businesses with teams of people that run them. And they're looking to buy and they hold them and grow them out as a package, a package deal, right? Um, their businesses, all of these acquisitions they've made. Uh, you have other people that are the tinkerers, right? Like they'll buy them and 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 work with them. Okay, I can increase conversions here. I can add social traffic or paid traffic and, and add an ROI and, and grow them to here. And then maybe down the road, either they keep them or they sell them, right? So they may look to sell them. And one of the other uh, impacts of a multiple is uh, how big the business is. So a business that sells, you know, that's making $10,000 a month in profit is generally going to have a lower multiple than a business making $40,000 a month in profit. So the larger the business gets, mm -hmm. the, the larger the multiple gets as well. So not only... Um, if you're you, you buy a business that makes ten thousand a month in profit and you get it to twenty, right? Not only have you doubled the value, you may have done a little. You may have added a little bit more too because you get a better multiple. So instead mm. of selling, you know, maybe you buy it at let's say twenty four x. You bought it uh, for two hundred forty thousand on a ten thousand dollar a month profitable business. You double it, and you're selling it for five fifty, six hundred thousand. I see, makes sense. So the more, the larger the business, the better the multiples. So as you grow the business, it's almost growing exponentially in terms of its value. That's now, right. One of the most common questions I see whether people are selling through your marketplace, selling directly, selling anywhere, is the skeptical question where someone asks, uh, "Why would they sell the business if it's already doing well?" What are some of those common reasons you see a seller selling a store? Yeah, we get that a lot from people that are maybe they're building their first store, right? And they're thinking to themselves, and this is a question from them often, and they're thinking to themselves, like, what are you doing? Like, why would anyone sell their business? There's got to be something wrong with it because no mm -hmm. one would ever sell their golden goose, right? Like, if you've got a profitable business, it's uh, kicking out six, eight, ten thousand dollars $10,000 a month in profit, they're thinking to themselves, I would never sell that business. I, it, took, it was crazy. Like, if I ever had that business, I would never sell it. And what they don't realize is the business itself, the, the store isn't the golden goose. That's an egg, right? That's an egg that the golden goose is laying. Mm -hmm. The real golden goose are their skill sets and their ability to create those types of websites or the, those types of stores again and again and again. So once you've learned how to do it, repeating that process and getting another store off the ground and profitable – isn't that hard? Now, maybe you got a little lucky with your niche selection and maybe you had some help or some benefits along the way. But if you were able to do it once, it's very likely to be able to do it again. Now, there are other reasons people sell too. Like um, a, a good one or an interesting one is, you know, someone has, let's say that they're good at organic SEO, right? And so they've built up this store to the $10,000 a month profit level. Um, and they've kind of maxed out every keyword in their niche. They've added all the products they can that are valuable. They've, from their perspective, they have completely maxed out this the business. They said it'll never make more than ten thousand a month in profit. This is as big as it'll ever get. I'm going to sell out the, at the top, right? I'm at the very top of the market. I'm going to get out while the getting's good and get my cash and cash out of this deal. 
Well, you have a buyer that comes along and says, you know, I actually don't buy businesses until they're at least $10,000 a month in profit. I'm actually a paid traffic guy, right? Like I'm good with paid Facebook traffic. And this business is a great opportunity for me because it meshes well with another business I own in a parallel space, parallel niche. So they're like, finally, you know, they're thinking in their heads, the buyer's like, well, you finally built this up to a level that's interesting to me. I'll buy it off you for $260,000 because I know within 12 to 18 months, I can double the business with paid traffic. So the buyer walks or the seller walks away going, you know, I got one over on this guy. This is as big as it's going to get. And then a year later, they realized, oh, man, wow, they, they grew it out. They made it even bigger. I guess I missed something there. Yeah, there's this funny you know, scene in the, the social network where I think uh, Justin Timberlake's character is talking to uh, the Mark Zuckerberg and about how the Victoria's Secret sold out too early and then the, the owner, the original owner of it uh, was obviously very upset about it. Do you see that happen where people have this kind of seller's remorse uh, where they sell a business and this happens where they, they apply their paid traffic skills to a business that was mostly getting organic SEO, takes off, like, oh man, that sucks. I should have kept that business. Like, how do you deal with, do you ever have to manage those expectations? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen both sides of that. So I've seen the sellers that are like, oh, I sold too early or mm. like, I didn't know that it you know, was going to do so well later on or whatever. Right. So I've seen that. I've seen the other side where they sold and the industry tanked, the business didn't do well, you know, they, <laughs> that it wasn't managed well, lots of different reasons. And they're like, oh, I'm glad I got out. So yeah, I mean, I definitely see both sides of that. One of the ways you can hedge that a bit is to keep some equity stake in the business and maybe you stay on as a consultant or advisor. This is normally done when the seller is being forced to sell. Let's say that you've got a wedding or you've had, God forbid, a death in the family or something. You're, you're, you know, you've got some major thing coming up that you definitely need the money for. And you're being forced to sell, but you know that the business is not in the best position to sell. You know that if you had 12 more months, you could build it up even bigger. Maybe you sell 80% ownership in the business, so a controlling stake, and you keep, you retain 20% equity. And that's kind of your hedge. So if the buyer does really well with it, you can stay on and advise them and tell them kind of your path that you would have taken. Maybe you talk a monthly or quarterly basis. Now, they do grow it out over the next year or two years, and they do turn around and sell it. You still have an equity stake. So that happens sometimes, but generally only if the seller really trusts the buyer or has built some kind of a relationship, just has a good feel for them in terms of what they want to do with the business. I've seen that work. Yeah, in the case where you do sell the business completely and you move on as the seller, one attribute that I, I hear sellers uh, looking at, not, not just the monetary side, is making sure they're selling it to the right person. Uh, how do you, as a seller, evaluate if you are selling your business to the right person? Like, What kind of attributes are you looking for typically? Well, ultimately, I mean... This is more for for a seller. Maybe it's their first exit on the business. And so, you know, their business is their baby, right? They don't think of it as an asset at this point. They think of all the blood, sweat, and tears they put into their business. And, mm. you know, they're selling it for, let's say, you know, three, four hundred thousand dollars and they put a lot of work into it. And they're thinking, I don't want to give this over to someone who's gonna kill my baby, right? <laughs> or who's right. gonna not do well with it. People that that have done it a few times are treat it more as a business transaction, right? It's an asset. They're selling off one of their assets and, and whatever. So for the people that are selling off their baby um, and they feel that way about it, uh, you know, get an idea on what the buyer is looking to do with the business. Get a feel for what their plan is. 
um, and make sure that you're comfortable with the plan. Ultimately, it's going to be their decision. So whatever they tell you, they may go in a completely different direction Mm -hmm. and uh, it's going to be theirs to do with what they will. If that's uncomfortable for you, you're probably not really ready to sell. You're probably not in that position. So if you if you're having that kind of question on like what direction are they going to take, and you're wondering, you're kind of thinking maybe you shouldn't sell it, then you probably just shouldn't sell it. Right. You don't want to have that lingering in the back of your mind once you are supposed to move on to something next. Yeah, you're just you're just not quite there yet. If you're if you're still worried about kind of like what they're going to do with it, and it's 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 a sign that there's something else holding you back from really being ready to sell. Right. Makes sense. Now, from the other side, from the buyer side, uh, the common question I see is that people are deciding to maybe start their business for the first time or maybe just exited a business or looking to get into another one. Then the question is, should I build it from scratch with the funds that it will cost me to buy or should I take those funds and just buy a business outright? How do you recommend buyers work through this, uh, this decision? Well, it's interesting. I think if you're looking, let's say you're out looking at businesses, right? And uh, I see a business, I, I, I make an estimate that's going to take about two years of my time to get it there, right? So one of the things you can do is you can measure or get an estimate on how much you're going to have to spend and how much of your time you're going to have to spend over the next two years to get up to speed and what that time could be spent on otherwise, Right, so you have to take, I think, time into account, um, not just cost. So you get a lot of people that um, maybe have never exited their business yet, or they're still kind of building their first one. They go, "I would, why would someone spend three hundred thousand dollars on an e-commerce business? That's mm-hmm. crazy, right?" And then what we find is a lot of our sellers, people that sell with Empire Flippers, once they've had a couple of exits, they actually become buyers because they realize they don't want to spend the next two years getting a store off the ground. Right. There's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that goes into that. And from a buyer's perspective, they're like, look, I've got money. I'd rather bypass that work. Have you seen are you familiar with like Seth Godin's The Dip? Uh, sounds familiar, but yeah, can you explain it? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, on an entrepreneurial path, right, you're you're constantly kind of like ups, downs, ups, downs. And then, you know, at some point, inevitably, there's going to be a dip. There's going to be kind of a, a, a sagging point where you know, it gets tough. And then maybe possibly if you pull out of the dip, it like goes up and to the right, right? Your business takes off. So from a buyer, like in a perfect world, a buyer wants to buy when you're in that dip. You as the site owner in that dip, you put all this hard work, sweat and tears in this business. You're thinking, I don't know if it's going to turn up or I don't know if it's going to go to zero. I, I'm just out of it. And they, they see the opportunity. They, they see it's close to just taking off. So they buy it from you, put in all this blood, sweat and tears, and uh, and they don't have to put in that blood, sweat, and tears. They get the, all the benefits with none of the hard work and downside of two years of, of slog, right? So from their perspective, they're like, "Look, this is fantastic for me. This is why I want to do th- this. Is why I want to buy it right now." So there's a real advantage, I think, to buying a business that's already proven itself in the market, that's already selling products that people want, that already has customers, or hopefully already has repeat customers, and so you get to buy all that goodwill. In addition to that, so like that—that's for someone who doesn't own any business at all, owns no stores, and is looking to just get started and to skip the kind of like, you know, blood, sweat, tears process. Now, if someone already has a business, so let's say I have a business that sells, you know, uh, cat furniture, right? So I have a store that sells cat furniture, and you've got a store that sells something that's related to cats. I don't know, cat snugglies or <laughs> whatever, right? And you know, we've got a similar audience. 
Like if I buy your cat snuggly business and selling, you know, maybe five, I'm making 5,000 bucks a month in profit. I buy that business. I've, you know, immediately added to my customer base. They're probably interested in cat furniture. I've immediately added products I can sell to my customer base, which is the cat furniture peeps. So there's real strategic advantage for me as a buyer. Maybe that seller didn't have that strategic advantage. They didn't have a much larger kind of like parallel niche. The buyer does. And so they're going to take advantage of that and 2x, 3x the business just on that alone. Now, now should you only buy if you have some kind of different skill set or in the example you just gave, some kind of strategic or competitive advantage that you can apply or in the in the case, the example you gave earlier about how someone might be running a business and they're great at organic SEO, but you have all this background and, and proven track record and paid traffic, then you buy the business and apply that kind of skill set to it. Do you recommend that people come in with that kind of setup or can you just come in and not have anything that's, you know, any kind of special sauce and just continue running the business you don't have to have a strategic advantage in that you already have a business in the same niche or parallel you don't have to have that you don't have to have an alternative skill set to what the seller already has but you do have to have a plan so if you see a business for sale and and uh you know let's say that you're you're going through and there's a bunch of listings there's some in your price range and you're looking at them and you see a business that looks great but like you can't like if you actually came down to putting together like a strategic and a tactical plan on what steps you're going to take over the next three months, six months, nine months, 12 months to grow it out. And you can't come up with anything and you don't, then no, you shouldn't buy that business. So you do have to do some planning and be able to be willing to take some steps to continue the business and drive it forward. And if you have no thought to that, then you shouldn't buy. Mm. Now, in terms of uh, having this plan, is the seller available for these kind of discussions or what kind of due diligence should a, a buyer do to determine if it's a, the right business for them? Well, a ton of due diligence. So that's, that, that's like a whole another episode or several. Um, so, so the due diligence is one piece. Now, uh, well, I'll answer that in a second. But like in terms of uh, – whether uh, the seller is going to stay on board, that's generally part of the negotiation. So some sellers, you know, are let's say that I'm taking the cash in this business. I'm selling my drop shipping business to fuel my FBA business in a different niche, right? Because I need inventory. So I'm selling this eighty thousand dollar drop shipping business because I want to buy a bunch of inventory for the other business, and I'm growing that one like like crazy. So I don't have time to deal with kind of like walking someone through this business over the next two, three, four months. So that seller is not going to have the time to kind of work with you, whereas another person might. Right? They're selling it for other reasons, and they they do have the time, and that can be negotiated in the final contract. Right? So what exactly is the seller going to do for you and with you post sale? needs to be discussed it needs to be clarified before the deal actually goes through and you know we generally because we work with both buyers and sellers we tell them look this seller is not in that position right because they've told us that they said look i just don't have the time or they they do have more time and so we help steer people that are going to need a little more support from the seller towards businesses that are a good fit for them and that will work for them now in terms of what kind of due diligence a buyer should do uh heavy due diligence um you know, like for example, all of the the businesses we list on our platform, we vet them. And by vetting, I mean we look at the earnings, we look at their back end, we look at their traffic, and we will only accept a certain amount of businesses that meet that pass our criteria, right? And we're looking for quality businesses that we know our audience is interested in buying, right? But even though we do that vetting, 
that's vetting to protect the integrity of our marketplace. That's not that does not replace due diligence for a buyer. Ultimately, due diligence is always on the buyer. You can't trust uh, the broker. You can't trust the seller. Uh, you can't trust a third party to do due diligence for you. That's always on you. And that's the real trick to buying businesses is to make sure you've done and, and not only do you have to look for scams or fraud, but you also have to look for things like, is the niche going to last? Um, recently, there was a push to sell, I, I don't know you know about this, but a lot of vaping products right, mm-hmm. in the US. And so those have been really, really popular. And some of them have done really well. There's a question as to where, which direction it's going to go. Is it going to blow up and be super popular and like really valuable? Or is it going to blow up the other way and be seriously regulated and serious problems. Now, it's, it requires a high risk tolerance because it could go either way, right? So if you're buying that, you have to know that and you have to be in the risk tolerance level to where that purchase makes sense for you. So first you have to know it and then you have to you have to have a higher tolerance for the deal. So that's just one example of many of the things you need to check in due diligence. Mm. Now, this due diligence, it sounds like it can take a ton of time. How much time do you have between when a, 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 um, a listing goes up that you really want and how much time do you really have before it could close? I guess, you know, of course it varies, but on average, how much time do you have to do your research before putting in a bid? Uh, some of our buyers will look at maybe three to five listings before they actually make a purchase. Others will look at a dozen, two dozen. So they spend a lot of time looking at them. Um, you want to spend time, but you don't want to get stuck in the cycle of always shopping and never buying, <laughs> unless unless you enjoy it too. Which, if, if it's like a hobby and fun for you, have at it, right? That's that's fine too. But but if you're actually looking to purchase and you kind of get stuck in that cycle, maybe you need to change your criteria. Uh, one thing I'll say is, is looking at a lot of deals early on, I think, is helpful because it's going to give you a better kind of uh, just view of the market, view of what's out there, a view of what's in your price range. So that's really helpful. And I recommend looking at more, um, not less. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think as, as a buyer, like due diligence is extremely important. It's something that you're going to get better at as you look at more businesses, as you talk to more people and talk to more sellers and get a feel for you know what would be a good fit for you and, and, uh, and your skill sets. And how much detail can you see about a business to do this due diligence? What kind of reports or data can you typically get from a seller? Yeah, so uh, with us, what we do is we actually protect the information behind a deposit process. And we're different in that way. So not all brokers do this. Some will require uh, what's called uh, a letter of intent or just non-disclosure paperwork. Some, uh, like Flippa, will let you see the information uh, publicly, right? We don't uh, show all of the details about the stuff. We don't put the the URL out there. We don't put the niche, the exact product, uh, without paying a deposit. And our reason for that is we're not protecting the seller so much. We're protecting the buyer because most of the listings we have are going to sell. Uh, if we put a listing up, there's a very good chance it's going to sell. And whoever that buyer is, is going to have to run it and grow it after that, right? So if we have hundreds or even thousands of people reviewing their business, how much it makes, how it gets its traffic, all this information, there's more likely they're going to have a dozen copycats or more pop up in the next couple of months. 
And so we don't want that to happen. We want to protect our buyers, so we protect the information. So to see the information, you have to pay a deposit. Uh, once you pay the deposit, we're going to send you the URL. We're going to send you all the earnings screenshots. We'll be able to put you on a call with the seller uh, and give you all the information you need to make you know, an informed due diligence decision. But we hide that behind a deposit, um, kind of a paywall, to make sure that it's not just out there publicly for anyone to see. Mm. So this this deposit, is it refundable? Like if you're shopping for multiple stores, uh, well, maybe how, how, is it like a percentage of the, the sale price? Like, give us more details about how the deposit works. Yep, it's a 5% fully refundable deposit up to 9900 bucks. So if it's over... You know, a little over two hundred thousand dollars. The max deposit will be nine thousand nine hundred. It's fully refundable at any time for any reason. If you actually go to buy the business, we're still going to refund the deposit, and you're going to be sending a wire in for the full amount. So we refund all the deposits all the time. Um, you can pay with a credit card. You can actually pay with a wire. Um, and that will give you all the information you need for due diligence. Um, in terms of taking that deposit and transferring it to another business in a similar class, that's fine. So if you're looking at like a you know, $30,000 dropshipping site or $50,000 dropshipping site and you want to transfer it to a $1.2 million um, e-commerce business, no, that's not okay. But if you want to transfer it to another forty, fifty thousand dollars site, that's that's not a problem. Um, so yes, you can transfer between businesses, but we generally handle that uh, post deposit. Mm-hmm. And what are maybe to close this out? What are some of the biggest opportunities or trends that you're seeing in this, you know, buying and selling space, particularly maybe in the e-commerce space? Yeah. So. I mean, I can give you the first one that comes to mind isn't e- e-commerce. It's actually in lead gen, but maybe there's an opportunity for e-commerce. I see it in the. Uh, um, there's a company called Quinn Street, and there's another one called Campus Explorer, and they have all these relationships set up with for-profit institutions, right? So there's a lot of for-profit schools uh, that are out there, tech schools and vocational schools that are hungry for students, right? And and the students pay a lot of money to attend those. So if you're doing content in that space, let's say the medical education space, for example, Quinn Street has all these relationships and so does Campus Explorer with all these educational institutions and they'll pay you for a lead anywhere from 20 to $50 per lead. And a lead may be their name, their email, and a phone number to contact them. So if you have a content-based site that's in some kind of medical education niche, I'm not going to say anything specific, but in that general niche, and it is specific, uh, and it's like locational. So it's like, you know, in, in Portland, if I want to, you know, look for um, a medical school in this area, um, and I fill out my information, then I can sell that lead to Quinn Street. Um, and Quinn Street has code you can put on your site. So I've seen these sites do really, really well. I think there's uh, a ton of opportunity. I think that industry is really growing. Um, so I think I, I've seen, we've sold quite a few sites similar to that or in that kind of like space which I think are uh, pretty interesting. Um, we've seen lately like uh, some drone e-commerce businesses in the drone space that have done really well. Same thing for the vape space. Uh, but that, again, that's a big question as to, to where that'll be in the next couple of years. It could do really, really well, or it could do very badly depending on legislation. Very cool. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Justin. So empireflippers.com, E-M-P-I-R-E-F-L-I-P-P-E-R-S.com. Again, it's the website. Anywhere else you recommend listeners uh, check out if they want to learn more about buying and selling businesses? 
Yeah, Felix, we have a podcast called the Empire Flippers Podcast. You can take a, a listen to that. We also have another show called the Web Equity Show, where I'm on with another broker, a guy named Ace Chapman, and we kind of hash out uh, a lot of the details between buying and selling. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, man. Here's a sneak peek of what's in store for the next Shopify Masters episode. I look at my blog and I see how I've, str- I've tried to streamline it. Um, you know, things like always having the same size image. I used to write much longer blog posts um, than I do now, whereas now I, I, I try to keep them kind of short and to the point, And then once a week, I like to get something kind of meaty that you can sit down and read. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.